You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Okay, it's 8.01. Welcome, 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 welcome to episode 50. Dun, dun, dun. The half centennial. It's fantastic. We've reached episode 50, which means we've been doing this for 50 weeks because we haven't dropped one. So, yeah, episode 50 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Um, thank you very much for joining us, whether you are live coming through the uh, the door now on Facebook. Hey, Mark Nusi, how are you? I think every single episode you've been the first person in. I think Gary owes you another prize. Hey, Danny Matthews. Um, and also, hi, if you're listening to the recording. Um, as the either the podcast or watching it on YouTube. Thank you very much for your support as well. And of course, you can watch it live on YouTube. If for some reason you don't like Facebook, plenty of reasons for that, then uh, you can also watch us on YouTube. Um, but the, I mean, we appreciate all the support, but joining us live is great. What's made the, these 50 episodes so fantastic and kept us going is the people joining us live and celebrating the fantastic guests we've had, asking questions, debating. So, so there we go. Beautiful. Shedding a tear, just something in my eye. So, um, before we get into tonight's 50th episode, no pressure on our guest tonight, um, I would like to just remind you that if you do um, enjoy uh, the YouTube recordings, then leave a comment and share the word. Um, the podcast, and please leave a rating and review on uh, particularly Apple Podcasts. That just raises our awareness. We get shared a little bit more and the good word gets put out there. So if you can do that, that's great. Um, and uh, just a little look at what's coming month ahead. So last week we had our panel, which I'll mention in a second. Um, tonight we've got Pelvic Health Special with a fantastic Gerard Green coming up very shortly. Next week we've got um, Rachel Zoffness, um, pain psychologist, which is going to be an excellent episode. I'm really excited to bring Rachel. She was requested and we got her. And then um, on the 25th, we've got the... Um, episode with david balins from balins insurance which is going to be fact filled and very interesting as well for anybody any questions about insurance so yeah great may uh, lined up let me say thank you once again to the panel from last week who gave us the abba revival actually no it wasn't but thank you uh, ben for creating that uh, very i can understand why it happened and um, with the beards and that but yeah it was fantastic um having a chance to talk about how much the words matter um, a really interesting debate fueled in no short part um, by Matt Scarsbrook of the Massage Collective, uh, Rachel Francis Thompson of Biomechanics Education, and also uh, Ben Boy, Benji, Ben Ben, come on Ben, Mace Crossley, who is the STA rep for Chester Wirral and the Manchester area. So thanks guys for that. If you want to catch up with that, it's on uh, podcast apps now, and you can watch it live um, on YouTube as well. So there you go. Right, but that brings us into tonight. Um, who uh, somebody who we've been uh, trying to get on for a long time, but a very busy gentleman um, uh, because of the multiple talents he's got. Um, full-time clinic, educator as well at various universities, courses running nationally and internationally. Um, it is um, the sensation that is Gerard Green. I don't know why I went Gerard then. It's not from France, as you'll soon see, but Gerard Green. And uh, yeah, we finally got him tonight. So we are going to talk all about pelvic health um, which is a subject we've um, talked about before back in um, November last year. I can't believe it's that long ago. In episode 25, which is quite creepy, isn't it? Exactly half of, of today. Just realised that. That's pretty creepy if you look at numbers. Uh, but yeah, that was with uh, Bill Taylor. 
and from Edinburgh talking about um, in particular male pelvic health. Uh, we've had Gronia Donnelly on as well. That was the episode before who together with Emma Brockwell, I'm sure a lot of you are aware of the great work they're doing in the movement to raise awareness of women's pelvic health. So um, it's fantastic to have somebody 25 weeks later to see where we are now. Um, and um, I'm hoping that you will join us in asking questions and how we can play a part as soft tissue therapists um, in this area. How significant a part can we play? Um, so, yeah, very much looking forward to that. Um, as always, if you've got comments, then just say them and I can bring them up on the screen. Mike Grice is here spreading the love already. Gerard is awesome says mike there we go everything is awesome uh glenn murphy has said evening all um and gary benson founder of sta has said good evening gerard green a long time no speak um so there we go he actually gary said that twice so he really wants to say good evening to you there you go so um i think that's done introductions done let's 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 bring up the man himself would you please welcome gerard green There we go. Sorry, I called you Gerard. I don't know what that was. Oh, about. it's okay. It's okay. I think I don't know what the roots of the name are, but um, what are your roots? I'm hearing a little bit of an accent there. Oh, from Ireland. There you go. <laughs> Who would you guess it? Fantastic. Um, uh, we've never met before, have we? I don't think we've. No, paths. although as, as I said before, I feel I know you from your <laughs> you uh, your online your the work you do online. And likewise, I've seen your name many a time and people talking about courses they've done with you. Um, so it's great for you. Thank you for giving up your time um, to spend uh, with us tonight. Um, so you can see the comments on the side. Um, if you spot anything there, I say this to all the guests, if you spot anything you really want to latch onto, because I have a tendency just to blanket and focus on you. If you say, oh, Emma's got an interesting point that I've got to stop doing an Irish accent. I have this almost syndrome where I impersonate accents. If you see anybody on the side that you want to say, oh, Emma's got an interesting point there. I want to you know, launch into that, then just say it, interrupt me and get on with it. Okay. Right. So, but first of all, uh, for people who aren't aware of you and the work you've done, um, just briefly, yeah, um, how's it been? How did you end up where you are today? What path have you followed? Yeah. So uh, firstly, a really big thanks to Mike and the STA for the invitation. Uh, I'm really honored to be here and uh, well done on uh, reaching 50 episodes. That's quite amazing Ooh. that you've done them every week for almost a year. And I'm sure that uh, apart from, you know, increasing people's clinical knowledge, they've probably been a great support to people who have had a really tough time with COVID. So, you know, well done to everyone who's uh, uh, who's helped Mike with them also. Uh, and I suppose I came into pelvic health in uh, probably in two ways, really. So the clinic that I work in in Birmingham, we uh, kind of for a long time saw lots of female pelvic health. And then I was very fortunate to meet a really amazing lady, Dr. Ruth Jones. And Ruth uh, started to do some teaching for me. And then we became really friendly. Um, she was someone who I, you know, really looked to as, as a mentor. And then at the time, because we were seeing lots of female pelvic health, we had lots of uh, male patients contact us. And then I went and... Uh, used to drive down to Southampton every week for a few years. And then I worked with Ruth and Ruth trained me up in uh, kind of male pelvic pain. And kind of since then, we, we now see uh, lots of quite complex female pelvic pain in the clinic and lots of other female pelvic health. And there are, uh, we have about six other female pelvic health physios. 
And then myself and my colleague Lisa see lots of, uh, uh, particularly a lot of uh, male pelvic pain and other male pelvic health. And then I see um, some of the, the postnatal patients as well. And before I go any further, Mike lives down the road for me and Mike owes me a breakfast, I think. <laughs> There you go. It's it's been caught now forever in podcast land, Mike. Um, full English, please, for Gerard next time he's around. Um, but you, you must live a very busy life because there's not many physios who are teaching. Actually, as a Coventry teacher, and you've got a clinic, and you're doing courses. How do you fit it all in? Well, I think I think in in a way, uh, I've got. I think maybe a bit like you. I've got much better at saying no to things because I think you have to do that to kind of protect your own family time. And, and your own kind of, you know, physical health. Uh, I I only do two days in Coventry, so so I've really reduced that over there. So I do two days in Coventry, but I, I really find the students are really uh, really inspiring group of, of people to work with, both the undergraduate, the postgraduates. Uh, I work with some brilliant people. So you know, the clinic we've got a really brilliant lady Hannah who runs the clinic. Uh, I'm very fortunate to work with some brilliant physiotherapists and a, and a brilliant sports therapist. Uh, you know, they work really well in the clinic. So I kind of go in, see my patients, but they, they help a lot to run it. And I think in a way, COVID has has been beneficial, if you're allowed to say that, because all of the teaching has moved online. So that that's cut out a huge amount of traveling. So I suppose in a way I do much less now, but I'm probably more efficient with my time, I would say. It's true. I mean, we've mentioned that a few times. There are. It's weird, isn't it? You feel guilty saying that there's benefits out of COVID, but there has been some benefits, well, there are, there are. you know. Um, and one has been kind of this. This comes out of COVID. We're here because people needed some help and therapists are now talking to each other and sharing and kind of rather than competing and kind of spying. It's it's been pretty healthy in that sense. And also just breaking boundaries as well, I think, because people have been talking more, meeting up online. We've got much more um, physios talking to sports therapists, talking to pelvic health specialists, talking to psychologists. It's it's hopefully the health system. We've started a bit of a, a trend which is going to be positive. So. Um, yeah, it's true. So you mentioned you're in a clinic which is multidisciplinary and you've got sports therapists and massage therapists there. Did you say that? We we have one. You've got one. Who, who is brilliant, Chanel. She's brilliant, but she does she does a lot of work for us. Um, okay. But I think our clinic is maybe a little bit unusual in that probably maybe probably about maybe 20, 25% of our patients come from other clinics. So a lot of those patients have seen another physiotherapist, uh, another sports therapist, an osteopath. Uh, so, and they then, ref because they've picked up that they have a, a pelvic health condition or a postnatal condition, uh, so a lot of those patients are referred to us. Uh, so I think I think what I suppose I've been good at is, is kind of building a really strong working relationship with, you know, lots of different clinicians Whereas they feel confident that they can send some of those male pelvic health patients, female pelvic health patients to us. Uh, you know, they'll be well looked after. Uh, and then with some of those patients, you know, we'll do some of the pelvic health and they will still see their physio or osteopath or sports therapist for some of the other work. So I think it's it's a quite a nice way of working, which I think is unusual because a lot of 
well, you you know this. You've you, you've worked for a long time. A lot of clinicians, there's you know a little bit of paranoia about what other people are doing. Whereas I, I'd like to think that we don't really we've kind of moved well beyond that. Yeah, in some circles, it's getting there. I think we're moving to a healthier place anyway. Um, hi, Becky, who's just joined us, unfashionably late. And good to see you, glad you made it, Becky. And hi, Brian, as well. Brian Huxley saying hi, Gerard. Hey, Brian, you've become a bit of a regular, haven't you, Brian? Regular little spot this Tuesday night, eight o'clock. So your your massage uh, is it massage therapist, sports massage therapist, sports therapist? Um, Colleen, did you say what is she? Chanel. So Chanel, Chanel is, is a is a sports therapist who also does a lot of soft tissue work. Okay, fine. And so do you find that, does that mean that there is a certain amount of use you make of massage um, and soft tissue work with your patients uh, with pelvic health issues? Then? Yeah, so probably a, a, a significant part of our workload is male pelvic pain and female pelvic pain. So those are patients who are getting... Uh, maybe in terms of the females are getting vulval, clitoral, vaginal, perineal, rectal pain. In terms of the males are getting penile, scrotal, perineal, rectal pain. They're getting urinary symptoms, uh, pain and intimacy, the men ejaculatory pain. So, so those are really kind of chronic pain patients. So they tend to have multiple drivers of that pain, but one big component they have, they have a big soft tissue component, and in particular, they have a big abdominal uh, referred pain component. So what we, what we would tend to do with those patients is a lot of abdominal soft tissue work. And because what's quite interesting with those patients is that you, you, know, you palpate into that, maybe rectus abdominis, and you get really increased kind of tension there, but you get really uh, a wide referral of pain. So in some of the guys, you press into that rectus abdominis and it, it will give them maybe rectal pain. It will give them a surge of penile pain. You do it in some of the female patients, they'll get maybe some uh, pubic pain, some vulval pain. So with those pelvic pain patients, there is a big soft tissue component, particularly abdominal, but also kind of lumbar spine adductor. And then the other patients where we do a lot of soft tissue work is a lot of that, uh, those women who present postnatally. So they may present with postnatal low back pain. They may present with postnatal pelvic girdle pain. They may present with thoracic pain. And th there's a big soft tissue component to that as well. Fascinating. So, so as a starter already, it means that if 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 massage therapists do, and we'll talk about this in a second, manage to refer out, for example, they ask the right questions. We'll talk about these questions shortly, but manage to refer somebody who would benefit from seeing, for example, a pelvic health specialist, physiotherapist, then they may, they may well find a referral back as well. It could be the start of a pathway where, okay, I'm seeing this person now. Very well done. Thanks for sending them to me. We've identified some stuff. I also want you to start doing some massage. Da -da 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 -da. That could happen. There is a pathway there that could join the yeah, two so together. That should, that should happen and that's the best way to treat these patients and one of the main reasons for that is that uh, a lot of these patients are traveling a good distance so someone might travel from maybe Leicester or uh, maybe Manchester or, or down in Northampton for a pelvic health consultation but it makes no sense 
for them to be traveling for a lot of the spinal manual therapy, a lot of the soft tissue work, you know, that can be done locally. That can, And particularly, it's better to for them to have that done locally with someone that they're confident in, someone that they have that kind of rapport with. So, you know, we will see patients from a good distance away for a lot of the kind of pelvic health specific stuff. But if that patient has come to us from someone else, we will redirect them back. But we will kind of you know speak to that person as to what we feel is going on. And what we're also quite good with is if there isn't any, if, you know, if they've just found us on Google or wherever, uh, we will then try and find them someone local. And that's something that's become a lot easier. So we will maybe, uh, it's a bit like recently, I had a patient, a male patient from uh, Bury, kind of up near Manchester, Boltonbury, uh, which is part of the country I don't know that well. And I just stuck it on Gemma's uh, physio and therapist support group. And I, mm-hmm. I'm not, by the time that, in, in about 10 minutes, I had a name of someone. They messaged me on Facebook, done, sorted out. Brilliant. That's a real Whereas previously, use. that would yeah. have been really difficult, like. You know, yeah, they, yeah. you would have been saying to them, well, you know, why don't you go and find someone in Google? But that's always a varying quality, like. Yeah, again, another benefit of, of COVID is, is Gemma and her wonderful support group. We've got a lot of love for Gemma. So, yeah, it's true. There's, there's a lot now working on rewarding people who do share and, and stop competing. I've got the same thing with gait analysis. So people will travel a long way down yeah, exactly, to see me. Exactly, yeah, exactly. I'm not going to start doing massage with them. I could do with it. I quite enjoy it. But, but I'll, I'll make sure going into circles, right, where do you live, right? I want to send to someone who I'm on the same page as, but now it's made it much easier to do that thanks to social media. It's nice when social media works and helps. Um, fantastic. So you've mentioned some of the conditions which people typically um, uh, could be suffering from. Let's start, I don't know, do, 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 do. Before we do, I'm always interested. I mean, I, I don't know it's the circles I'm mixing, but with the work that Grognier is doing, fantastic work, Grognier from Absolute Physio and Emma Brockwell with a recent book, it feels to me, and I might be wrong, that female pelvic health is in a little bit of a heyday now. It's kind of like being talked about more. We've got some athletes coming forwards. There's a lot of attention on female runners. Um, people are stepping out with Instagram, doing some great things and talking about all sorts of wonderful female health, um, pelvic health issues. Is it still a bit dark and quieter with male pelvic health? Or is that just because I'm not following the right people? Is there a difference there? No, I think it's, I think most people will agree that, uh, you know, female pelvic health is, you know, a much bigger area of practice. Uh, It's uh, more in the, gets more kind of public attention. There's more awareness of it. Uh, probably more awareness around the pregnancy postnatal side, the urinary side, rather than the pelvic pain side. Uh, I think male pelvic health is developing, but it's it's but there are you know it's there there aren't kind of the numbers of people working in male pelvic health. There is it's quite difficult to get training, mentoring. Uh, I think you notice at pelvic health conferences, most of the content is female orientated. Uh, and I think from a, a patient perspective, uh, you know, if say if say if you have uh, 
if, if a man has low back pain or knee pain, he'd be happy, he'll happily tell everyone about it. You know, if he's playing golf or he's playing football or he's down the pub or he's at work, he'll, you know, he'll tell people about his knee pain or his back pain. Uh, and, you know, people will say, well, you need to go and see such and such a person. But people won't do that if, you know, if they've got ejaculatory pain or they've got really bad scrotal pain or they're getting lots of pain on bowel movements or they're getting, they're having to go to the loo every hour. So I think men are probably not, not as good at discussing any health issues, particularly anything related to urinary, bowel, erectile dysfunction. Uh, so they're not good at that. And, uh, and I think also it, it can be difficult for those men to find people who kind of have an insight into those problems really uh, and there is i think there is still a it's safe to say there's still a stigma about men talking about you know erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or especially in the especially in the younger men the, the fit and healthy men and then probably the other big areas is the men post uh, who have surgery post prostate cancer who get profound problems in urinary incontinence erectile dysfunction but those men, although they've got really significant problems, they are not brilliant at facing up to the fact that they have another problem now and they need to get help with that. And often with those men, it's their partners, wives who ring up and make the appointment, almost bring them to the appointment. Whereas I think, I think women are a lot more proactive with that. They've maybe got a bigger support network that they and they're happy possibly talking about those conditions interesting i remember i mean i think i posed a similar question to bill um who i know you, you um you've you've worked with before but and he surprised me but like the, he said the link between suicide in the male population which you know is an issue because the guy's not talking enough and actually guys suffering from pelvic health issues which they weren't talking about either was was dramatically high i can't remember the percentage he used but so this is part of a bigger picture is it about guys just trying to be guys and not sharing stuff and something we're trying to so pelvic health forms part of that i guess definitely yeah do you think it's nature or nurture is that an impossible stupid question i think what i think sometimes you find um particularly with the male patients, uh, particularly with those male pelvic pain patients, is that uh, it's often some big life event has made things dramatically worse. Mm -hmm. So you may have a patient who's had maybe lots of maybe low back pain, maybe a little bit of coccyx pain, little bit of maybe urinary symptoms, then suddenly... Uh, divorce, relationship breaks down, lose their job, uh, made redundant because of COVID, uh, lots more anxiety, lots more stress. And, th and that can cause this kind of catastrophic change in symptoms. So rather than having those old symptoms, suddenly they're getting raging perineal testicular pain. They can't sit. Um, they get some erectile symptoms. But so, so I think, you know, a big part of all these patients, whether it's female or male, is, you know, it's getting to know the patient, finding out what they do, what's happened, you know, what, what was going on around the time of that change. A bit like, a bit like people would do with someone who's got maybe a, a big change in their chronic low back pain or a chronic neck pain or, or knee pain. But it's really finding out 
you know, what's going on with that patient and what's changed. And I think a nice thing I like to ask these patients is, you know, things at the minute look like they're pretty bad for you. You're having a really tough time. But, you know, if I saw you maybe 18 months ago, well before this started, what type of person would I be seeing? Mm-hmm. And then you can get an idea of, of of the change that's happened with that person, both physically and and in terms of their mental health, which is, and we ask a lot about that. And you get very comfortable asking that. That's a good question. Which brings me on to my next question. And thanks for sharing, by the way, Benjamin. Um, not all guys. There's obviously exceptions to all Benjamin. Benjamin Mace Crossley says, I probably overshare. Yeah, I know the type of guy you are. Um, you're the sort of person that I run away from quite a lot. Uh, but also Catherine as well says, I overshare. So obviously it's not everybody. I'm generalizing when I say the guys don't talk enough. There's obviously a lot of guys that do. But um, when it comes to, you mentioned asking the right questions. So let's get down to sports therapists, sports massage therapists. We're seeing a lot of people who come to us because they're in pain. We know that pain can manifest itself in lots of different ways. It's multifactorial. So they probably think, oh, I need to get this tension out of my shoulders or maybe I've got this lower back pain. What should we be doing to try not to let them slip through the net or at least give them the opportunity to maybe open up a little bit so that we've got our cards ready to go? You know what? Take this card. It could, you know, it could help. And what should we be doing to open up that conversation? What are my questions? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I think what might be helpful is if we split it into some of those big patient groups that people will see. Um, So, you know, lots of people here will see uh, women who've had a baby. So they will be in that postnatal group. And we know that, a bit like Gron, you will have discussed, or Emma, that... There are certain conditions that are really common in women who've had who've been through pregnancy, who've had a baby. And a good starting point would be to ask about some of those. So a nice kind of safe thing to ask about without getting into the urinary, the bowel, the intimacy, is we know that lots of women postnatally get develop a tummy gap. So like a rectus disc, where that linear alba gets much wider, maybe two centimeters plus, and they get abdominal weakness and they might get abdominal pain. And it can sometimes be much worse when they're exercising. So that's sometimes a good. And women, mums are quite self-conscious about that. So sometimes a good starting point with, with those mums is to say, well, you know, do you feel that you're getting some strength back in that tummy? You know, have you noticed that it's still quite weak? And then you start to get into the specifics. Well, you know, when you're getting out of bed or you're lifting the baby or putting the baby in the bath or you're putting the, putting the buggy in the car in the house, you know, do you notice that, that the middle of that tummy is doming or projecting out? Are you getting any abdominal pain? And, you know, you it's you sound like you're back exercising, which is great. So is that tummy improving? Is it getting a bit worse? So that's kind of starting to ask about that rectus diastasis tummy gap. And Gronia, you know, if anyone's interested in that, just Google Gronia Donnelly rectus diastasis. Emma Brock, well, they've done tons on that. Then you start, then you can ask about, well, you know, we know that, pelvic girdle pain is common during pregnancy and 
with some of those women, it, they can still have it postnatal or they can develop other stuff. So it's then asking about, well, you know, are you getting much low back pain, pelvic hip pain, pubic symphysis pain, thoracic? And then you can get into the really specifics. Urinary stress incontinence or urinary incontinence is common postnatally. Common to the fact, to the point that a lot of people will feel that it's normal, but we know it's not normal. So it's asking, well, you know, since having the baby or maybe especially if you're back exercising, you know, do you get any urinary symptoms? And a nice way to ask that, first of all, is not so much, well, are you getting urinary leakage? Are you leaking? But are you getting any frequency? So frequency is where uh, someone's having to go to the loo. Um, almost hourly, half hourly. So it's kind of, so the urinary frequency, urgency. So I'm sitting here talking to you guys and suddenly I feel I need to go and I've got to go. And then, well, you know, when you do anything strenuous, when you pick the baby up, when you um, maybe do some exercise, when you cough, sneeze, are you getting any leakage? The other thing that's quite common, is, and, and I think this is really relevant to the people here and the people listening, is symptoms of prolapse. So prolapse is where there's a little bit of altered position of those pelvic organs. So there's almost a bit too much pressure, either from the bladder in front, bowel behind, into those vaginal walls. And sometimes that becomes a problem if someone maybe is... Uh, they've gone back too quickly to exercise or they've gone back at too high a level. So what they're starting to feel is a bit of pressure vaginally. So they're feeling a bit of pressure, heaviness down into that vagina. And people might think, but I can't treat that. What you, what you can say is, well, you know, it's not, I don't think it's normal that you're having those, that pressure there. Um, you know, we know that you shouldn't be leaking with exercise. So maybe what you need to do is maybe just not stop exercising, but do it a little bit easier, do something a bit lighter. And, and maybe you need to go and see someone about that because we know that it's common. And but it's def, it's de it's getting that message. It's common, but it's definitely not normal. And you um, as a mum, you know, it's not normal for you to be leaking, to have heaviness. Uh, and then. So that, so those are some of like there are other postnatal conditions, but I think those are some of the conditions that it's maybe a little bit easier to bring in. Maybe start with low back pain, tummy gap, urinary symptoms, prolapse. I suppose there's two reasons. I love the way you're you're giving therapists an easier way to approach rather than just going straight in with uh, problems with leakage. It's nice having these 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 opening the doors. But I suppose for some clients, it's nicer having that phrased to you that way as well because they might not want to open up and talk to you about it. So when it's put that way, it works both ways. This changing of the language to make it kind of less kind of taboo and. What about, um, I'm going to come, by the way, I've got a couple of questions, got my eye on the comments, don't worry, I will come to you guys, there's some great questions there. Um, how about when it comes to uh, the guys, any similar kind of ways of tweaking the questions to make it less kind of... Yeah, so there, is, there are, there are th there's probably two groups of guys. The, there's the older man, so that's someone who's maybe 60, 65 plus 
who's been who's had surgery for prostate cancer. Now, there are men who, who develop prostate cancer younger, but typically it's that older man. So it may be that they mention to you that, uh, oh, I'm uh, having some, I've had some surgery for prostate cancer, and then they probably won't want to say much more about it. But we know that all of those men get urinary incontinence, erectile dysfunction. So they really benefit from pelvic floor work, specific pelvic floor work. Or it may be that uh, you have someone in who, and you know, when, when you, we, we all see patients for a long time, you know, we see them for a good hour, we see them multiple times. Someone may say, well, oh, things are a bit tough at home at the minute because my uh, husband or partner or my dad or my uncle is uh, going to have surgery for prostate cancer. He's had it and it's really hit him, you know, uh, badly. So, those men get a raw deal. They get profound changes. So th those are men that can be signposted for help. The, in terms of the other, the questions you asked, so with the pelvic pain guys, they like anything, if you see enough of them, there is a bit of a pattern there. So some of them will initially present as a low back pain patient, because it may be that they have pelvic pain and low back pain. And at least with the low back pain, they know where to get help. So they might find it difficult to get help with the pelvic pain, but they will know, well, I've got this back pain as well. Maybe I'll get that treated. Get So with patients who've got low back pain or uh, pubic symphysis pain, chronic groin pain, chronic hip pain. It's in a, in a kind of sensitive way, it's saying, well, you know, you've told me all about your back pain and your hip pain. Uh, you know, do you ever get any pain down into that tailbone? So that's starting to explore a bit about coccyx pain, which is kind of where that pelvic floor attaches. And then you might say, well, you know, do you get any lower abdominal pain? which is more of a pelvic pain thing than a uh, like a low back pain. Uh, do you get anything down into that pubic area? And then you, you're starting to build a bit of a picture. Well, you know, I know you, you come and see me for your back pain, which we'll assess and we'll treat. But, you know, when you get that back pain, do you ever get any pain underneath, which is that soft part, that kind of perineum? That's a classic sign of, of pelvic pain, pain in that perineum. And then, you know, do you ever get any any kind of genital pain, scrotal pain? But it's almost starting with the pain, coccyx, tailbone, pubic. People are happy enough talking about that uh, underneath bit perineum. Uh, and then it's saying, well, you know, do you get any urinary frequency? Urinary frequency is the big thing here. These men are going to the loo, a lot of them all the time, you know. Are you getting any urinary frequency? You know, does your pain change if you do any bowel movements? And then, which, and, and sometimes it just takes a, a bit of time to get comfortable with this. It's saying, well, you know, you, you don't have to say to them, well, are you, you know, when you ejaculate or when you masturbate or when you have sex with someone else or intimacy with someone else, do you get any problems? You can say, well, you know, are you getting any, any erectile changes? So what we would ask, and I suppose we're, I'm quite comfortable asking this. So, if, you know, if you're the patient, I, I will, I'll start with the pain. 
go into the urinary, the bowel stuff. And then I'll say, well, you know, we know from seeing lots of patients that uh, uh, ejaculatory pain is really common. You know, is that something you're getting? Um, a lot of people feel that their morning erections have changed. Is that something that you're getting? Um, has that has do you get any pain on intimacy or masturbation? So I'm not expecting people to suddenly turn up in clinic tomorrow morning and ask the first person through the door, you know, are they do they get pain with masturbation last night? But with the back pain patients, it's 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 delving into that coccyx, pubis, perineum, anything going on urinary, anything going on bowel, then you're starting to build that picture. The perineum is a big one. If someone's getting pain in the perineum, they're getting there's a good chance of getting pelvic pain. And the definition of that pelvic pain is that someone's getting pain in that uh, uh, lower abdomen, pelvic, so that pubic, scrotal, penile, perineal, rectal area, equivalent for femurs. But they're, this is the big thing. They're also getting either urinary symptoms bowel related symptoms or sexual health related symptoms mm-hmm. so you're trying you're trying to see well are they getting pain in those areas yes they are are they getting pain and intimacy yes they are are they getting some urinary frequency yes they are so they meet that definition for pelvic pain brilliant fantastic okay right so um We've got some questions here related to what you've been saying, which is fantastic. We've got a question here from M, which I'll read out for people listening to the podcast. So M Turner says, male client recently shared while we were working to rehab his arm slash hand urination every one to two hours through the night after his stroke. It threw me. Is this something I could refer to your clinic for? Yeah. So that's, so that's obviously quite a, uh, so that kind of nocturne or urination at night. So it's really seeing, uh, once a night probably is okay for most men, especially as they get, depends on the age as they get older. Um, so you're looking really at is, is that new? And it sounds like it is new. It sounds like it is new. Uh, so that's not normal. That, that sometimes indicates maybe a bladder component. Uh, I think the stroke patients are, are probably more complex because you can get like a, a neurogenic component. You can also get a change in tone, particularly around that pelvic floor. You can also get a dramatic change in activity level. Um, so if you have someone who was previously fit, active, well, they've had a stroke, period of hospitalization, inactivity, more sedentary, that tends to play havoc with that bowel bladder functions. But that is someone who would who would benefit from having that uh, bladder function de- locked it definitely. Very interesting. And I wonder, M, um, how did that subject come about? Was it something you instigated? If so, how? Um, or was it a surprise he suddenly shared it with you? Because, I mean, sharing that with you is almost saying help, isn't it? It's like saying, I want some help with this. I'm a bit worried about this. Um, can you help me? So it's kind of a little bit of a plea. Um, but, yeah, M, let me know how, the, how that conversation came about. Interesting point. There was one up here from Brian. Here we go. Brian Huxley said, um, Gerard, do you find there is a common link between hip joint nerve impingement and pelvic pathology or are they usually separate? Right. Where you, where you, thanks for the question. Where you see this link particularly is probably the more fit, sporty, active male uh, athletic pelvic pain patient 
or the female athletic pelvic pain patient. So these are your people who are your runners, triathletes, footballers, rugby, hockey, gymnasts, etc. So they've they've got maybe a, a, a maybe a chronic or ongoing hip or groin problem, or maybe something like an osteitis pubis. But someone has then picked up, you know, because things aren't changing despite, you know, good quality rehab intervention, maybe multiple injections, maybe they've, they've had like a Lloyd release. Uh, things aren't changing. And then someone also picks up, well, they're also getting uh, perineal pain. They're getting urinary frequency. If it's a female athlete, they're getting, you know, pain on intimacy. They're getting some internal pain. They're getting so I think that's a pattern you you see probably in particular with that more active sporty pelvic pain patient. I think it's it's really important though to make the point that, you know, that not everyone with a hip problem or a groin problem or inguinal pain is a pelvic floor patient. And I think it's all, it's it's really good to go back to that definition of pelvic pain. Symptoms there, combination though also of urinary, sexual health, bowel, lower abdomen. Excellent. That's something that everybody I can hear them frantically writing down now and we'll be adding to their to their medical park use as well. Um Becky's got a question here. This is something which I remember Gornier and um I think it was Gornier talking about. Uh, Becky Carroll says Oh thanks by the way, Brian. If you've got to follow up that question then you know feel free to write something else there. Becky says, I wonder whether incontinence items being so readily available perhaps gives the wrong message that incontinence is normal and something to just put up with within the general public. I remember Emma going on about this saying she, she's got a real hate relationship with some of the adverts where they kind of say, Oh, solve it with this. Just buy this. This will sort you out. And it's like, no, there's an underlying problem here. But yeah, I think, I think I would agree with you. And I think most people will say that, you know, uh, whether that's the, the message that Gron is given Emma, uh, there is a really well, no, well, not, uh, there's a, uh, uh, a physiotherapist called Elaine Miller, who's you should get her on some night, who's based up in Edinburgh. And she is also a, a comedian. She does a lot of work in the media. And she's a really strong voice that this is not a good thing, mm. saying that it's OK to leak. It's fine to pad up. It's fine to pad up and play sport. Uh, but I think that it's the, the, like the media does that a lot. But I think you, you also meet lots of women who's... Uh, GPs say this. You know, they were, these are women who will commonly say to you, well, I was told I've had two children. What do I expect? Mm. And I think, you know, so, someone, has, someone has also commented that, that people kind of laugh and joke about it, but it, it has been normalised both for that postnatal community but also that those women who haven't had children maybe who are also getting urinary symptoms so i think i would agree that it's uh that there is an an attempt by a lot of those companies to normalize it um whereas i think of all the things that physios do probably the best evidence is the role of kind of pelvic floor exercises to treat female urinary incontinence mm. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I, I would be I would be agree with Becky on that one. Great question, Becky. Like it, keep them coming. Um, let's have a little scroll down. Was there another thing there? Just checking. Emma and Julia are agreeing with there. Um, yeah, Becky just follows it up with interesting. It's yeah, it's the focus of jest amongst mummy circles too. Again, I wonder. It's actually something that's not helpful. Yeah. Um, Emma comes back. This is the question about the client um, who um, talked about the one to two times or one to two every uh, going to the toilet once to every one to two hours. Um, Emma says, thanks, Gerard. Yeah, I asked about if he had any other symptoms or complications that he wanted to share with me. It was our second uh, rehab session and clearly he trusted me enough to share. That's really cool. That sounds really good. Em. Yeah, good that's really good. And kind of coming back to Emma's Question because I think I misread it because I thought I was getting up once or twice a night, no, it's every two hours. hours. So that's a yeah. Huge, yeah, that definitely needs mm. intervention. Now, sometimes when you ask these men, you know, are you getting any symptoms? They will say no. So you might say, well, are you getting any urinary, urinary symptoms? And they'll go no. And they may say no because you don't want to talk about it, but. Commonly, they may say no because it's quite no. It's become very normal for them. So it's you know it's normal for that for the patient to go to the loo every hour. It's normal for them to take twenty seconds to initiate that urine flow. It's normal for them to leak immediately post void. It's normal. And then you ask them, "Are you getting any bowel symptoms?" And they go, oh, "That's fine." Um, but it, it may be that, you know, they're only passing a stool every three days and it's really painful. Mm. So sometimes when you, it's brilliant, brilliant that these patients are, feel, uh, you know, happy to disclose this because it's not easy. It's not easy for female patients, but it's definitely not easy for the men. Sometimes then it's good to, to, to almost do a bit more detective work. Well, what else is happening? And then suddenly you find out, well, actually, things are not brilliant. Excellent. Good stuff, Em. And and Em just continues. I always ask because I'm trying to use the biopsychological social approach more. Fantastic. So, yeah, spending a little bit more time on that subjective. Sounds like that's what all our guests are saying. Ask some more questions. Ask enough questions and the patient will tell you what's wrong with them. Good stuff, Em. Really nice. Sounds like um, the uh, patient or client's really lucky to have you. Um, Benjamin, what are you up to, mate? You're saying normalization is a positive thing, though, right? Making the topic not taboo. Yeah, but I think we're talking about normalization of something that's not normal. Yeah, sounding like something is normal, but it's not. I think yeah, I think, yeah, I think my point was that uh, it's that a lot of those postnatal symptoms are very common, but a lot, there, there is a tendency to feel that they are quite normal, mm-hmm. even though. They're definitely not. But, yeah, I, I completely agree that, you know, talking, discussing, all of these things is a positive thing, yeah. Different use of the word normalisation, I think. Yeah, I like that. That I mean, it's such an interesting thing. It could really surprise someone. Yeah, just because it happens to a lot of people doesn't mean that it's normal. It just means that a lot of people are not dealing with it or not asking that questions. But it's true what you say, Benjamin. Talking is definitely um, necessary to stop it being taboo subjects um julia hartley's got a question now um how does an overactive pelvic floor present in men overactive pelvic floor yeah so this is these are a lot of the patients we see uh the the some of the the big the big symptom is pain 
So these men will get a lot of pain in the perineum. So that's that soft area underneath. They will get scrotal pain and penile pain, particularly pain in the tip of the penis. Some of them will get rectal pain. So they will feel that there is there is pain internally. So they get they get re, they, a sign of overactivity is is pain in those pelvic areas. The second thing that's quite common is that they will feel that there is something internally within the rectum. So that's that classic golf ball in the rectum that they complain of, or that they will say that they're sitting on a block of wood. They will also. Uh, or they, or sometimes they'll. One person described a reason like they're sitting on a hot hedgehog. So pain is a driving factor. The other big symptom is, and this is coming back to the classification, is they will get urinary frequency. Some of them will get hesitancy. So hesitancy is when you go to urinate but it just takes you a few more seconds to initiate. And also they get post-void leakage. So post-void leakage is you finish, you feel you've finished, you put it away, and then suddenly you've had several more drops. Another classic symptom is pain on bowel movements. So normally when you do a bowel movement, you sit down, you uh, pass that bowel movement and you don't really feel too much about it. Whereas these men get quite considerable, they may get rectal pain, they may get pain in the perineum, they may get a surgeon. And it's not that they're getting discomfort for a couple of seconds, they're getting, that may lead to increased pain for the rest of that day for two, three days. And probably they, they, they don't like sitting. So if, if there were people here tonight with uh, pelvic floor, uh, male pelvic floor activity, they won't like sitting. They'll be standing or they'll sit. They'll move from one cheek to the other. They'll sit for 10, stand for 10. So they don't like sitting. They don't like driving. Uh, people, well, not so much a problem at the minute, but people don't go on family holidays because they can't sit on a plane for three, four, five, ten hours. And probably the, the other big symptom that probably about three quarters of these men uh, get is that they get ejaculatory pain. So they may not be getting any erectile dysfunction. So they can still get an erection. Uh, they can still masturbate. They still get morning erections. They can have penetrative sex. They get profound ejaculatory pain. And that's not like a that's not a little bit of maybe scrotal discomfort. That's a real surge in pain where if they ejaculate, they will get increased pain for two to three days. So it's not that they're getting a little bit of discomfort. It's that they're getting a surge in pain. And I think it's it's also good to make the point that the patients that, because people are probably wondering, well, you know, this could be testicular cancer, it could be bladder pathology, it could be bladder cancer, it could be colorectal, it could be Crohn's. So the patients we see 
they've been through extensive screening. So they, so the typical patient is they will have seen maybe two to three urologists. So they'll have had bloods, ultrasound, uh, maybe a cystoscopy, kind of check the um, internal um, kind of architecture of that urethra. So they'll have had, they'll have be seen by at least one, maybe two, three urologists. If they're getting a lot of rectal pain, they'll probably have seen by a colorectal specialist. Some of them may then have been seen by uh, a spinal consultant. And then so so these patients are coming through having been through extensive screening. So it's not a case that someone walks through the clinic door here uh, with those type of complex symptoms. It's very rare that they come to clinic not having that screening done. If they haven't had it done, which is very, very rare, they then go through that a lot of urological screening. And that's to reassure people. Uh, but but that's a kind of, so, it, you know, probably to summarize that in terms of pelvic floor overactivity, the main thing, the main symptom is pain. Pain is the driving symptom. And that's very similar to female pelvic floor activity. The main symptom is pain. So those women, they may be getting vulval pain. They may be getting clitoral pain. They may be getting internal vaginal pain. They may, be, they might, uh, they may find it difficult to use tampons. They, it's very painful on an internal examination. The sex is is can be sex can be really a really painful experience, both self intimacy or with a partner, and then they also get a combination of those urinary and bowel symptoms. There you go, Julia. Extensive answer. Fantastic. Um, I'm glad Mike asked this because it's been crossing my mind, and I've been putting it off, but. With regards to hernias, Mike's asked here, let me bring it up for people who um, are listening to the podcast. So Mike Grice has asked, what are the main things you look for, ask to differentiate between a sports hernia and an inguinal hernia? Yeah, so people will probably be surprised. This is something we don't see much of in the clinic. So we don't see a lot of that uh, uh, first referral sports hernia stuff. The, the patients that we see are the patients who've, Maybe, and this is a small number. So these are the patients who've maybe had some inguinal pain. They've had a release, but for whatever reason, it's made no difference. But then it transpires when you track back through that patient that they were getting inguinal pain, but they were also getting perineal pain. And then they were getting that kind of uh, spectrum of uh, kind of pelvic pain symptoms. So we don't so we don't get people turning up at the clinic with that initial 
inguinal sports hernia. We don't see those sporting patients. We tend to see the patients the other end, and it's not too many, but it's someone who's gone down the line of having multiple interventions, but it transpires that they're more of a pelvic pain patient than a soft tissue patient. There you go. And that's probably some of the footballers we see, which isn't very many, but mm. that it's more that kind of initially it was thought to be chronic groin, but they've had every everything done, and then someone's picked up that actually they are getting obviously groin pain. It's a big component, but they're getting tons of other stuff as well. Okay, so like you mentioned, that spectrum of pelvic health symptoms is something that's just like, it's like five key factors which kind of when tied together um make yeah make referral necessary talking of which so if massage therapists and sports therapists um kind of are interested in this area and they feel they really want to help people who potentially need referring out how is it with how much can massage therapists actually do themselves to help without moving out of their scope of practice and kind of crossing that boundary can they do courses and things which can help them actually be more involved or should they just recognize this spectrum of symptoms and just know to refer on straight away and have kind of the other person ready to be referred to yeah so i think because obviously we've uh, planned this for a good one uh, i've kind of done some uh, digging research of my own so oh good uh, one of my good friends is carol monaghan so Karen Monaghan is probably one of the best known male pelvic pain therapist clinicians in the country. So Carl is based in London and Carl is a Carl is a sports therapist. So I think Carl is a is a is a good person to highlight because Carl is someone who's come from that sports therapy background and if you google you find tons on Carl he does lots of really good uh, patient stuff. He's, a, he's an advocate for, for better patient care. Uh, but Carl is a good example that, you know, sports therapists can go into this work. It's not easy, but then it's not easy for physios either. You know, you need, you, you need, you need a passion for it. And a lot of, a lot of people who go into it have a, a passion for it. Uh, the other person who's a good example is a lady, Rachel Mailer. So Rachel uh, worked with one of my good friends. So one of my good friends is Adrian Wagstaff. So he does a lot of male pelvic health and he was trying to find uh, a female pelvic health physio for his clinic and ready, but, but just couldn't because they're not, there aren't huge, it's, it's quite difficult to find people to do the work, especially in private practice. So what he did, he had a brilliant sports therapist, Rachel, and then he sent her on uh, some of Root's courses. So on those courses were predominantly physios, maybe one or two osteopaths, chiropractors, sports therapists, not a lot, maybe a midwife. Uh, so Rachel did some of those courses and then started to do the pelvic health. And then finally, someone I just met uh, this morning, because uh, I was quite, I was quite keen to find uh, someone in the massage therapy field either. So I found a really brilliant, helpful lady, uh, Hayley Pittam. Uh, some people may know Hayley. She does a lot in, in kind of uh, aquatherapy. And she's based in Hertfordshire. And she does a lot of uh, massage therapy based around um, female pelvic pain, 
postnatal endometriosis. Uh, so I think I think the reason I'm highlighting those people is you can do this. I think I think it's like anything. You tend to do something because you have a passion for it. And also, a bit like Mike and I spoke at the start, you know, things in terms of things have been difficult the last year and people have had maybe a lot of time to think about what they want to do. And, you know, if, if someone has back pain or maybe they have a soft tissue problem with their calf, they can probably see lots of people for that. But if someone has maybe a pregnancy related condition or a postnatal condition or a female pelvic health condition, there are fewer people to see. So there's lots of work out there. Very and I think what yeah. I think what we've tried to do. So we you know, we I, I think I'm quite proud that we've trained a lot of people and we you know, we've uh, supported a lot of people to get into pelvic health. And, and I've always been a, a big advocate that, you know, when you train people, you, you should train people that those patients are going to see. And so we, we obviously on the courses we run, we have it's predominantly physiotherapists because that's the, the catchment that I have. But we also have had osteopaths, chiropractors, lots, lots of midwives, uh, nurse specialists sports therapists so we are happy to have those people uh, and you know it's not easy to train in pelvic health but it's not easy for anyone because it's just you just it's they're, they're, and i think covid has helped this in a way because it's you know it's it's easier to maybe access some of the courses online uh, particularly for me in male pelvic health, you know, there, there are courses now in the States that I can do, which I couldn't do before because, you know, it'd be tricky to leave my, my four kids for a week to go and do a course in Las Vegas or something. Uh, but, but now those are online, so they're easier to do. Um, and I think sometimes you, you might say, well, how can you do an online course? Sometimes you've got to just dip into the area, see, is it for you? Find out a little bit. If it is for you, great. If it's not, it's not. But I think, you know, because you're here tonight or you're listening to the recording, you have an interest. Um, and I think I would look at Carl's stuff. Carl is a really good example that you can do this. Haley is also an example of a massage service who works heavily in pelvic health. And, and, kind of, sure. and, and I think, you know, there will be people here tonight who, you know, will maybe decide to to do some more of this and maybe then in a year's time or two years time they will be talking about what they do in pelvic health and inspiring other people brilliant we'll make sure the links to those therapists get put in the comments at some point um i recognize uh, i think i recognize all of their names i just didn't realize it was lovely that you're highlighting them so yeah we'll make sure they're there and um, so you can see so there is um possibilities for people if you find passion like you say in this in this subject um speaking of courses let's just bring up as often there's a lot of information on your website i just want to bring up here i'll put it on full so everyone can see it so there's the podcast people love podcasts and that's you and Ruth there with the um uh how often does that come out how often do those episodes come out oh that's actually not my one but that's a really brilliant organization 
uh, a charity that it's the Pelvic Pain Support Network. So that does really great work for uh, men and women with pelvic pain, particularly in the UK. But obviously, because it's online, people. Are, but so that's the Pelvic Pain Support Network. Really good place to direct patients to, and that's a podcast that Ruth and I did uh, several years ago now. But it's still, but it's uh, it's great to have Ruth highlighted. Oh, great! That was you as a, that was you as a guest on it. Oh, yeah, I thought yeah. it was the Gerard and Ruth podcast. Okay. No, it's a great episode. I thought was, I was thinking, well, I'm going to watch some more of these, but you're not on any other, so I won't bother. But that's the Ruth you were talking about. So Ruth's obviously somebody who would be worth following as well. Um, and then as far as courses goes as well on me, for people who are listening to the podcast, if you go to uh, green with an E, so it's G-R-E-E-N-E, seminars, uh, dot physio then there's an awful lot of information on there regarding different events um, and uh, courses that are available and I think you make it quite obvious there's a few on here which said you don't have to be a physio there you go physio and health professionals so there's a bit there for anybody who's interested um, and I guess people could always contact you and say I'm really interested in this is it okay if I come along and you'll let them know whether you know what the level's going to be like and if it's just for physios or not um so yeah if people do want to contact you about courses then what's the best way of talking to you gerard i think because I'm, I'm nearly i'm not i'm not at the 50 yet but probably via, probably via email well I'm, I'm i'm on like obviously facebook and it but probably via email email okay so we'll make sure the uh, email just gets put into the notes and everything is normal um, and i just said ruth actually isn't working anymore because ruth had ruth retired for health reasons oh okay however if you're interested in pelvic pain, a really seminal book is uh, Pelvic Pain and Dysfunction by Leon Chetu, who a lot of people will know, mm-hmm. uh, and Ruth. So that her book is so it's it's Pelvic Pain and Dysfunction. Lots on female pelvic pain, male pelvic pain, lots of musculoskeletal, soft tissue stuff, and that's uh, uh, a book that's guided many people. Fantastic. We'll make sure that that gets put in the links as well. And a big hello to Gary as well. Gary, good to see you again. Good to see you again. It's been a while. What have you come up in? What have you got coming up in terms of courses, um, Gerard? Are you got new ones starting, or what's your plans for the rest of the year? Not, not too much really, because I'm in the process of setting up a new clinic in London. So that's kind of take. That's I'm trying to, f- to keep focused on that. Uh, we've got one this weekend, which is like an introduction to pregnancy postnatal. Uh, and then we've got a couple of specialist ones coming up. We've got uh, one of my colleagues from the States, which is now a lot easier because she doesn't have to travel here, is doing one on uh, pelvic floor for and patients po- uh, in oncology. Mm-hmm. So the kind of cancer patient. We've got some pediatric bowel and bladder. Uh, and then we've got an introduction to men's health. That might interest people. An introduction to men's health in the start of June and uh, a prostate cancer one, which is very good at the start of July with my good friend, Joe Millius, who is like a, uh, just an inspiring person to be around. The introduction one sounds like something people could get their teeth into. Definitely. Okay. Well, all details are on your websites. Um, so uh, make sure if you are interested in that, then you go along. We'll put the links in the notes as always. Um, we've got some um, thank you comments from people who are watching us live. So Sarah Jones is saying, this is Fab Info. I've been searching for CPD courses relating to peri-post-menopause in particular. So Sarah, hopefully that um, will help you there. Gary Benson says, thank you uh, for your time and informative chat, Gerard. A great insight into pelvic pain. Um, and Benny Boy here, um, as we like to call him, has said, nice one, Gerard. Great to be open, confident, and professional around these subjects. Right. Thank you so much, Gerard, for giving us your time.
Um, no, no, thanks for the invite, and thank you for thank you for inviting me. I was honoured to be invited, and I even had a, my first haircut this morning, my first haircut since December. Uh, so if anyone saw me a few weeks ago on Zoom, it's the same person, I just look very different. And a big thanks to everyone for giving up some of their Tuesday evening, and for those people watching the recording. And if you have any questions, just email or find me on Facebook or Instagram, wherever, just... Fantastic. Brilliant. Okay, guys. Right. Thanks for joining us. Uh, next week, just quickly, uh, we have got same time, same place. We'll be talking to, let's bring her up. Very excited about this. Um, we'll be talking to, um, oh, she's gone. Hold on. That's bad. Solo. Uh, we'll be talking to Rachel Zofnis, um, somebody who you've read her book. Um, it was somebody who was requested. Um, I can't remember which episode back. I think it was you, Becky, wasn't it? Who sent me an email. Um, so we've talked to uh, Rachel and she's going to be with us next week. Um, she is a pain and health psychologist, medical consultant, uh, big stuff, a great, really good selling book, uh, the pain management workbook, which I've read. And I think that was the one, Becky, which you recommended. Um, so yeah, really, really uh, interesting topic for next week. I encourage you to come along. If you've enjoyed listening to the recording um, and it's not next Tuesday yet, so this will be on the 18th, then drop in. It's a nice enough group here. They won't bite. Um, and it's always great to be able to ask our questions face to face. So that'll be next Tuesday again, UK time, eight o'clock um, with pain psychologist Rachel Zofnis. But for now, um, from myself and from Gerald Green, thank you very much. See you soon. Take care. You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about it.